Welcome to the Envision Rise podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Hegarty, Vice President of Equity and Inclusion for Envision Rise. Joining us today is our guest, Shane Halls. He is the CEO of Manifested Dreams and also the author of Inclusivity 2.0, How AI is Accelerating the DEI Movement. I've been looking forward to recording this episode for so long because I am, it's my two favorite things. It's DEI. And artificial intelligence and Fantastic. AI has been getting so much press lately. Yeah. So why don't we start with the simple stuff? Tell us about yourself. Man, tell us about yourself. That should be like the easiest question in the world. But, you know, it's like, well, how do you answer this question? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but no. So myself in general, I am just a person who's been in town acquisition now for almost 16 years along my journey in T.A., I realized that there are gaps in equity and representation, especially in areas like pharmaceuticals and IT, which were my kind of like wheelhouse. And I just kind of dedicated probably the second half of my career for about the last 10 years in ensuring that any clients that I have, any roles that I am touching also is given lots of attention for their equity needs and the inclusion needs and diversity needs that that business unit may have. And so that has been who I was. And then I decided that, hey, I want to go ahead and kind of do this on my own. And that's where I started Manifested Dreams. And Manifested Dreams is literally just an organization in which I founded to help persons kind of harness their skill sets in conjunction with AI to make sure that when the full AI integration happens in the corporate world, that persons aren't left behind and that they know how to integrate AI into what they do specifically, right? Because AI can be an asset to different people for different reasons in different ways. And so I just try to help people understand how to use AI for your particular career path and how to use it to be an asset to your organization and not be one of the persons who gets you know, laid off due to the fact that AI is kind of taking over your role. You know, and that's just me. And my background is Syncroy, U.S. Virgin Islands. That's where I was born. So I always want to make sure I give a shout out to the Syncroy USVI, born and raised. And so, yeah, that's me. That's awesome. So I want to talk about talent acquisition a little bit, mm-hmm. because uh, people that do work like we do with DE&I, we're really quick to put a lot of focus on how talent acquisition is failing to hire more diverse candidates, you know, the ways that HR is kind of not doing what we want them to do. So what's it really like working in talent acquisition and having an eye towards hiring a more diverse workforce with the idea of not only do you need to hire for diversity, but everybody needs to feel included and there has to be equitable treatment. Man, what's it like working today? That how much time do we have? Like, I, I thought this was only going to be thirty minutes. Well, we can sit here all day. All day. I'm trying to tell you, TA, TA is the most encompassing job I think ever because you have to be a psychologist to your hiring managers. You have to be a counselor to your candidates to interviewing. You have to be a project manager to your sourcers and your team that you're on, like TA is one of the most encompassing jobs ever, right? And in being in TA, you get a chance to see, you get a chance to be like a fly on the wall. So you get to hear the conversations between HR and business partners and the hiring managers and the business unit leaders. 
And then they may ask you your opinion every once in a while. And so you get a chance to see really what people are thinking. And you find that a lot of times that being that we're in the corporate world, the first priority is always filling the job. Like we need to get this job filled. This job's a crucial part of the you know cog on the wheel. We need to get it filled. And it's not until lately where we need to get it filled with a diverse candidate has been a part of conversation, right? Before it was just get it filled and then get it filled and then get it filled again was the priorities. Now it's like, let's get it filled. Let's find a diverse candidate. Let's get it filled is kind of how things are now. And so in trying to fill roles as a talent acquisition specialist, you have to understand that at times you may have to tell the hiring leaders, wait, let's pump our brakes. Let's take a breath. I know it's easy just to go with the first qualified candidate we see, but if we have four of the same type of candidate already in your team, let's take a second and find someone else who can fit the diverse spectrum to bring some more diversity and diversity of thought and skill set to the team. Any organization that is diverse is going to be more successful. That's just a proven fact. You need diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of skill set, diversity of culture. You just need to have different voices at the table to bring different point of views to situations that you're dealing with. So in being in TA and dealing with the diversity needs, you have to, one, be willing to have those tough conversations. You have to be willing to sit down with the hiring manager after you tell them to wait. And then you have to sit back like, hey, let's look at your team. Let's see what your team needs. You have a team full of women here. We're the guys. You know, let's keep, you need to bring a guy onto your team, which sounds crazy because we traditionally try to think about diversity as in just being like, oh, women, persons of color. But diversity is anything that your team doesn't have. Right. So I worked in organizations where I was filling a role in the Midwest in Indiana. Anybody who is in TA and understands pharmaceuticals, you know which company I'm referring to. (laughs) And so they didn't have any white males at their hub in Indiana, which is crazy when you think about it. But that was their diversity need. And we had to work to find a American born white male to go work at this hub. And so that's diversity, though. Diversity is unique as a fingerprint. And every organization, every business unit has different diversity needs. And when trying to fill those needs, it's important that you understand that the candidates coming into an experience where they're going to be a minority on that team. And it's up to the hiring manager more so than anyone else, more so than HR, more so than TA, to make sure that they have a culture of welcome and belonging and inclusion when they get in there. And that's important too. And that's a whole nother level of training that I think some leaders may need to go through in how to foster and create a culture of inclusion and belonging. Because one thing is to hire diverse candidates, but then it's another thing to keep diverse candidates. And the only way you can keep a diverse candidate in your organization is to have a culture of belonging and inclusion within that organization to make that candidate feel like their skill set, their background, their personality, their uniqueness is welcomed in that place. Let's talk about what that looks like a little bit, because I'm sure you've had the experience. I know I've had the experience of being the only whatever on a team. And if you are not the leader of that team, you are very beholden to how the leader treats you, how your teammates treat you. So, and I don't honestly think that most people don't go into their job and think, okay, I'm going to make this person who's the only of whatever feel really uncomfortable. It just sort of 
happens, happens because you don't make the effort to make them feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So what would you recommend that teams do, especially as obviously the leader has some responsibility, but as a teammate, what can people be doing when they don't have any authority over the situation, but they work side by side with this person? I think when you're bringing in somebody new onto a team, the buddy system is so important. And I don't know a lot of organizations that really adhere to it or not even adhere, but implement it, right? Where you have a new person on team, you take a new person, you pair them up with a more seasoned person on the team, right? And so that innately will start a level of fusion where this more senior person is going to probably have more respect on the team. Their voice is going to be more listened to on the team. So if you pair them up with a new diverse hire, they are going to get a firsthand view of that person. And then they will innately think about that person when they're having those conversations with leadership. They're going to think about their mentee, their buddy, when they're planning events, right? They're going to think about, oh, well, the person I was just talking to, this person I'm mentoring, this new person on our team, we were talking about lunch and I realized that they don't eat, you know, pork. And so that senior person may be on a planning committee. And when they're planning out lunches or they're planning out something, they'll be like, oh, well, let's make sure we have some non-pork dishes for our new hire, right? Just having that buddy system that mentor-mentee system for new diverse hires is important because it gives them a foot in the door of how that team thinks. That older person, that more seasoned person can let them know kind of what the culture of the team is like, what the vibe of the team is like, what the team likes to do. And in having those conversations, those small conversations, they can be like, oh, well, I like to go here too. Or, oh, that's cool that you guys do that on the weekend, but I won't be able to do that sometimes because on Sundays I go to church. And so when that older person be like, oh, well, playing out the next group hangout, well, let's plan it for maybe Saturday evening so that we can get this new person to come into. Right. So I think one of the biggest things is having that buddy mentor mentee system for teams, for new diverse candidates to kind of give them a less pressurized way of infusing themselves onto the team. I think that buddy system is so important. And I like that you call it that, or, you know, they've got their boss, they may have a formal mentor assigned to them, but having a buddy within your department makes such a big difference in even just navigating the way work is done. So even if it's not somebody who's a, you know, quote, diverse hire, they may look like everybody else on the team. We can't stop onboarding people a week into their tenure with the organization. And I think a lot of places do that. They kind of get you set up and say, here's your benefits and here's the portal. You need to log on to the portal and you know, take this one hour training and do this and do that. And then you'll be all set and ready to go. Exactly. No, you won't be all set and ready to go because even if you've got, you know, for instance, the policy and procedure manual, how many times do Come we go now. to work at places and find out that, yeah, I know that's what the handbook says, but, says, but no. this is how we really do yeah, it. This is, how we, yeah, that's what it <laughs> this is how we really do it. Okay. So when you need to pass the test, this is what you need to click, but here's how it's done quicker. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And our sister organization, the Institute for Process Excellence would have a lot to say about that, but this is not their podcast. No, so, <laughs> but I think that's one of the fastest ways people can begin to feel included is learning the secrets, not talking you know, dangerous secrets, but, you know, hey, 
if you need something from payroll, you need to go see Stacy because exactly. she's the person to go to. So absolutely. I think that buddy system is so critical. All right, let's get into it. Artificial intelligence. Ooh. How are the robots coming to get us for DE and I? Well, the robots have been here, right? We're just starting to embrace them now. Kind of like the whole aliens thing, you know. People, yep. government's just starting to tell us that the UFOs exist, but you know, we all kind of knew that already. Well, AI's <laughs> already been here. We've been using AI. We've been using Siri. We've been using, you know, Alexa. Those are all AI systems. Those are all things that's always been there. We've all been in TA where. You have automatic responses to questions that we pose on the applications, right? If the candidate clicks yes to this question or no to that question, then they get filtered this way. They get filtered. That's all AI, very rudimentary AI, very basic AI. Now what we're coming into now is more advanced. We're coming into systems now that have, you know, understanding of sentiment and colloquialisms. And so these machine learning systems are learning from every interaction that they have with us. And so we're able to have systems that conduct facial interviews now. If you're in the interview market, maybe you've seen companies where they tell you to, you know, answer these three or four questions via video and then submit the video over. Well, what a lot of people don't know is that a lot of times it's not a person reviewing those videos. It's an AI system. And the AI systems are reading your facial mannerisms. It's reading your smiles, reading your, you know, your eye movement. It's reading everything, right? The AI systems are being integrated a lot into the hiring process. When you have your ATS systems now, ATS systems are starting to integrate AI in the sense of where they will filter out candidates. You know, do these candidates meet the requirements? Do they have the degrees or the experiences listed that's necessary? And the AI will automatically filter them out and then send off responses to those candidates. All AI, all here. All right. You just made me really nervous with that video thing. I'm very conscious of the Ooh. fact that we are also yeah. on video and I'm wondering what is my facial expression telling a robot <laughs> right now? <laughs> so this is not the end all and be all though to getting us to a place of more diversity, more inclusion. Right. In fact, there are plenty of examples of it doing just the opposite. So right. what happens when the person programming the AI system hasn't addressed their own issues Ooh. with diversity, equity, and inclusion. What you happens? Just, that's it right there. That's the issue that no one really wants to talk about when we're talking about how great AI is going to be. Because AI is dependent upon information that's inputted into it, right? And so if you have bias where you go in and you put your algorithms in for a role that you want the AI to help source or screen candidates for, and you say, well, I want all my, I want the candidates to come from, you know, Joe Schmo University because Joe Schmo University has the best candidates for this. Well, what you've done is you've now begin to taught the AI system to have bias because bias is just, you know, a fancy way to say a preference or a like. And so if you're telling the system that this is the place that the best candidates come from. This is the school that I want all my candidates to come from. Well, now the system is going to give priority or weight to that school. And now you've taught the system how to have a bias. You've taught the system how to have a preference. And as it continues on, if that's not corrected, then the system will just kind of weigh out everyone else who doesn't meet that bias or that preference. And so you're basically just creating another little version of yourself. AI, especially the way it is now, is so powerful, but it's like a genius six-year-old child, seven-year-old child. It can do whatever you ask it to do. It can also be influenced to be whatever you want it to be. And so you want to make sure that you have organizations need to make sure they have a dedicated HR team that can go back in and 
saying, check the algorithms, check the information that's being inputted into the AI system that they're using to make sure that information that's being inputted is not bias based. It's not saying, hey, you know, I think women make better engineers than men, or I think that persons from this part of the United States will be better for my team than person that part of the United States. We need to make sure we catch all those things. A lot of times leadership tend not to do those things with malice, but with the best of intent, thinking that this is how they're going to get the best candidate, but it's still bias based and it's still teaching the system to not be as effective as we can have it be. It worries me so much because humans are so very fallible and we have not done the greatest job of not passing our own biases on to the next generation. Mm -hmm. So now you're telling me we are also going to pass it on <laughs> to the machines. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it's not caught. Yes, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to pass along it to the machines as well. So what can we do? What can we do to start? And I know that implicit bias is what it is. And, you know, the best we can usually hope for is to interrupt it before we make a decision using it. But we're human and everybody's got these preconceived notions. We all have stereotypes. We all have things in our head that we don't even know is necessarily there. Right. Like, you may have graduated from college 20 years ago, but it still may spark something inside you if you read the resume of someone of who course. went to your rival college. Sure and does. suddenly you may be much harder on that person or right. it, you, you may just be like, nope, nope, not going to do it. You know, I graduated from the University of Tennessee. It triggers something in me to see a University of Florida candidate. <laughs> I think that it's on us to understand just that, that we are fallible, that we are human, and that we have to be as, in those moments when we're inputting those algorithms, we have to be as cold, I guess is the way to put it, as possible. You can't have emotions. It needs to be factual. I need a candidate that has this level of experience. I need a candidate that's done this type of work. I need a candidate that has this kind of degree, right? And you start to get into your preferences when you say, well, I want a degree from here. I want them to have done work at this company. I want them to have, you know, gotten this experience when they were working in this country over here. Right. When we start getting into the more, you know, cutesy parts of the job descriptions and our feelings, that's when we start getting to our biases. So when we're inputting these algorithms, they have to be straight facts, right? Straight facts, not feelings. And that's where you need to have that HR team to come back and double check. And look over it. And this can't be the case of adding on to the duties of the persons already in HR and TA. They need to be a dedicated team that is only focused on ensuring the pureness of the algorithms that's inputted into the system. Because if that team is distracted and they have a million other things to do, then they're not going to be able to give the attention that's necessary to keep the systems as pure as they should be in order to get the goals that we want. We want to get the most diverse candidates possible and the systems can do that for us if we allow them to and not get our human bias fingerprints all over everything. You know. <laughs> now you mentioned job descriptions and that sent up a little flag for me that for so many of us, we have not looked at job descriptions in years, unless it's something new or there's something major changing in that job. That job description, it's been sitting there for 10 years, maybe. Yes. And then 
you're going to go feed it into the machine. <laughs> and if you haven't looked at that job description, you may be well, sourcing a mess. Yes, and right. so what do you recommend people do first? You know, before we start talking about teaching AI what we want out of a candidate, don't we first need to teach ourselves what we want out of a candidate? And assuming that job description from 1995 is still good, it's probably a bad idea. It's probably a bad idea. I mean, if we go all the way to the very, very first, and it's probably training, right? We need more training. And people are like, oh my gosh, more training. But no, like real training on bias and microaggressions and inclusion, right? Real training that really makes people uncomfortable. If you go through training on DEI and you don't get uncomfortable at least once during that process, then you have gone through a crappy training. And it is, there's no way to go down that road and not feel uncomfortable at some point in time during that conversation. And so I think leaders need to make sure that their leaders, if someone's being promoted into a role, especially a leadership role, a role in which they're going to be hiring, they need to go through DEI training. And it's not just, oh, well, they went through it for the company you know, a year ago when they first, no, they need to go, you're part of being hired, being in the leadership is here's understanding DEI from a leadership perspective. And then once you get to the point to where you're crafting your job description for a role and you go pull that old job description, there are systems out there that can go through that job description and tell you if it's leaning more towards male, leaning more towards female, is this inclusive language in this job description? Is this job description has exclusive language and it will tell you and it can give you points and scoring systems to kind of show you and weigh you in the direction that you want to go in and it can help you get to a very neutral job description that welcomes everyone and so you want to make sure you put that type of system checks and balances in place so your team can have it so they can take that old dated heavily biased job description and get it fixed up and dolled up to where it can be more neutral and more welcoming for everyone that you're trying to hire. Well, let's talk about the book because you've got a ton of knowledge in that book. Tell people what's the book about? What do you hope people walk away with at when they finish it? Yeah. So Inclusion 2.0, it is helping persons understand how AI can help in this DEI world that we are in, right? It is great to think that everything is wonderful and great, but anyone who's in HRTA knows that we are so far away from having truly diverse and equitable numbers across organizations, across business units even. And so this book is helping persons understand that while AI is going to be brought into your organizations and your companies, that doesn't mean that we now have to take away the importance of DEI, that we can use AI to help us get towards a diverse point that we can use AI to help us make things more equitable, right? And when we talk about equity, we talk about pay equity, talk about promotional equity. We can use AI to help us get to that point because once AI is integrated, so it's like a big process. So you bring AI in, AI will without a doubt replace jobs. A lot of those jobs that AI are going to place are going to be those administrative-based jobs, any sort of repetitive movement, entry-level type roles. And a lot of those roles are filled with persons of color, 
with women, especially administrative jobs, almost 75% of jobs that are admin based are filled with women. And so now we're taking away not only women, you're going to take away women of color from those jobs. And so diversity is going to be negatively impacted with cross corporation integration of AI. It's going to happen. But what we can do is use that AI integration to help level up numbers in other places. All right, let's use AI to scan the entire organization and see what managers are promoting who, how they're promoting them, why they're promoting the way they're promoting, and see where the gaps are in the managerial level. Because some of these AI systems that are available right now can look at your leadership, look at your management, and be like, okay, there's some gaps in skill set here. Let's figure out how to fill these gaps in skill set so that the next managerial opening, we can know what type of skill set to look for to make it more diverse around the leadership table. And so that person's all representations and backgrounds can have a voice being heard. So with everything going on with AI, the book is really just trying to give examples, give guidance, give sort of, you know, light bulb moments on how to use AI properly to make sure that your DI numbers within your organization still get to have as meaningful of an impact as they should. I'm going to go pick up the book right away because it, it sounds really useful in the workplace, but I also have a teenager who will be growing up in the world of AI and helping her to better understand the power of AI and mm-hmm. the weaknesses of AI. I'm trying to tell you, like it's not mm-hmm. all, you know, it's here, right? In Ignoring AI will leave you as a blockbuster in the world of Netflix. And yep. it's not going to go away. It's way too effective. It's way too efficient to just be ignored. And I tell everyone that you should embrace AI the way it is right now, because at some point in time, it's going to become more regulated. Right now, it's like wide open. Anyone can have access <laughs> to AI. Anyone can touch AI. Anyone can use AI. And it's kind of like when the internet first started. It was just like wide open. And now we know, see the internet's so regulated. Like, use this time to really get to know these systems. Use this time to really understand who you are and just maximize the effectiveness that AI is here for. And, you know, let it kind of catapult you to that next step in your career. Well, Shane, where can people find more information about you, about Manifested Dreams, about your book? You know, this is the time to tell them where to find you. Oh, man. So you can go onto the website, www.manifestedreams.org to find me. I'm on the Twitter. You can find me at M-N-I-F-S-T-D-D-R-E-A. So basically Manifested Dreams without the vowels. On Twitter, I'm on Instagram as well, Manifested Dreams NC. Just kind of everywhere. YouTube, we are here. Catch me on Envision Rise podcast. I will be here. You can find my face somewhere on there. We're glad you're here. Yeah, you know, <laughs> most definitely. But yeah, yeah, that's where I am. Um, definitely go on there, look at the ebooks. I do lunch and learn presentations on LinkedIn as well, trying to give folks every couple of weeks, we'll do a lunch and learn about a different aspect of AI, whether it be in sales, whether it be in even medical learning. And those AI lessons, those AI lunch and learns are available on our website as well under our online presentation. So I'm just trying to hear to get the information out to the people as effectively as possible. I love it. Don't get left behind. Go find out about AI before it's already taking over everything. So thank you so much, Shane Halls. We appreciate your time today. Appreciate it. If you'd like more information about Envision Rise, you can find us at envisionrise.com. Thanks so much, Shane. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Subscribe, rate, and review the show and be a part of making a difference because it starts with you.